0: The Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello everyone and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. My name is Mike Anderson and today we're going to be talking about getting people into the outdoors. Now has never been a better time. And with me today is Kayla Bendel from the North Dakota Game and Fish. She is their R3 coordinator, which stands for recruitment, retention, and reactivation. So she is all about getting people outdoors and keeping them there. Kayla, thank you for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into your role with the Game and Fish?
1: For sure, yeah. Thanks for having me on today. Um, so, as you said, my name's Kayla Bendel. Uh, I am originally from Minnesota, from the Twin Cities, um, but grew up just spending a lot of time um, going up north um, and just spending a lot of time outdoors with my family. Um, and just knew when it came time to go to college that this was the only thing that I cared about. Um, so I went to school for natural resources, wildlife management, uh, up in Crookston, Minnesota. And just kind of finally, for the first time, became immersed uh, in all these other people that loved hunting, fishing, camping, being outside, conservation, um, which is not something I found a ton of uh, in my suburban upbringing. Um, And yeah, just started getting into different types of hunting and fishing, Um, got introduced to waterfall hunting by some classmates while I was there, and um, spent time catfishing on the Red River, Um, just getting to learn about all these other different types of hunting and fishing. Um, And then I went to graduate school at uh, North Dakota State University um, and kind of just ended up working my way west, um, now calling Bismarck, North Dakota home. Um, Came out here for my first job with Pheasants Forever, actually, um, getting to do outreach with landowners as well as kind of the first time I got introduced to R3, uh, as Mike said, hunter and angler recruitment, retention and reactivation. Um, And just fell in love with Bismarck. Uh, There's just so much to do um, really near, like nearby home. So I can do stuff on weeknights and um, can spend like every weekend uh, upland hunting or waterfall hunting or heading west to the Badlands or fishing the Missouri River, Sakakawea. So there's just a lot to do close to home, um, and just fell in love with this idea of getting other people interested in the outdoors. Um, and when this position opened with game and fish, I was just really excited, uh, make a career out of getting people to love hunting and fishing. Um, so feeling pretty lucky.
0: That's very cool. Yeah. Growing up in the city and then moving out to like the Crookston and the Bismarck (laughs) areas is definitely a change of pace there. If you're, if you're an outdoor enthusiast, you're, you're in the right spot now.
1: For sure, yeah. And Bismarck's a nice combo of still plenty of amenities, but then you can just quickly get out of town. Um, But yeah, definitely a little different than the Twin Cities.
0: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So fishing or hunting, which one do you like more?
1: Oh, I don't know. If you asked me that like five years ago, I would have said fishing hands down. I just grew up doing a lot more fishing. Um, But yeah, since getting a bird dog and coming out here and um, just all the opportunities, I don't know. It's been really hard to pick. I do feel a little bit more like connected to the land and kind of connected to everything going on uh, while I'm hunting because there's just so much more for me to be like attuned to and notice and um everything on the landscape. But it's a tough choice. I don't know.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I have I have a hard time with that same one. You know, <laughs> my my answer was it depends on the time of the year. You know, that's true. Like, yeah. In in the winter there really isn't a ton of hunting seasons going on, so it's like oh I can just say ice fishing. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, when they're both going on, that's awful tough.
1: Yeah, spring and fall is, is tough to pick between everything, um, but definitely kind of in the barefoot boat day mood right now. So
0: Yeah, absolutely. The weather's kind of finally warming up. And, you know, like I'm I'm from Minnesota, and fishing season just opened up a couple of weeks ago. So it's like, yeah, I can chase walleyes again. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a good yeah, time. Yeah, we can
1: chase walleyes all year round here. So
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A little bit, I, I wouldn't say jealous because, like, I live in Fargo and I can, mm-hmm. you know, go after the walleyes. But I've always been kind of a Minnesota guy for that. So mm-hmm. even though North Dakota has some just absolutely incredible fisheries. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. you, you know, getting back into the R3, like, what exactly is it for for people that don't know?
1: Yeah, so just um, it kind of became this bigger initiative um, in the like mid like 2008, 2010 time. um, We just started realizing this nationwide decline in hunters and anglers. Um, So just starting to see the average age of hunters and anglers increase um, and then participation and license purchasing going down. um, There's other states uh, that are being much harder hit um, Than North Dakota, but um, kind of just started to realize like, uh oh, this is pretty concerning um, for wildlife agencies because uh, hunters and shooters and anglers primarily fund agent wildlife agencies and wildlife conservation work uh, through the Pittman Robertson Act, which is an excise tax on um, firearms and ammunition, and then the Dingle Johnson Act is an excise tax on like fisheries and boating equipment um, that place a pretty big amount of money, uh, billions of dollars uh, into conservation work and then of course hunting and fishing license sales um, play a significant role in budgets of state wildlife agencies. Um, So here in Game and Fish, over like 90% of our funding comes from Hunters and anglers in one way or another, um, so kind of concerning just for the places that we love and and keeping these outdoor traditions strong in this country. Um, so this R three movement was born, um, realizing that we not only need to recruit new people, um, but make sure we keep our current hunters and anglers engaged, uh, and then maybe try to reactivate those that kind of fell off uh, for one reason or another. Um, but in some ways, um, we've like R three has kind of always been a thing, I guess. Um, at least at state wildlife agencies, that's kind of all the work that we do. I mean, we're stocking lakes um, to keep, you know, anglers happy and having resources out there. Um, we're managing wildlife management areas um, for hunting opportunities. We're pointing people to our website if they have questions or to buy a license. Um, so in some ways, like, it was already a thing, but it's sort of just in this newfound light that um, it's really important and we need to keep people engaged. Um So I kind of get to just like coordinate across everybody in our agency and keeping um, hunting and angling participation like at the forefront of everyone's minds when they're making decisions and um, just trying to think about how we can engage new people or uh, find opportunities that we maybe didn't see before.
0: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So do you spend a lot of time working with various, you know, hunting clubs and firearm safety trainings and things like that?
1: Definitely, so uh, we're we're all in this together seems to be the phrase of 2020, but um, yeah, we couldn't do this without our partners. So we work a lot with um, NGOs, non-government agencies, um, other state agencies, federal agencies. Um, You know, it's kind of just me in terms of uh, solely dedicated to R3 here. Um, So a lot of those NGOs, um, Ducks Unlimited, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Pheasants Forever um, are out there on the landscape actually holding like learn to hunt events, uh, learn to shoot events Um, engaging with their volunteers and and just having a much bigger impact than I alone can have. Um, So certainly lots of partners uh, that are really invested in the R3 initiative. Uh, And then, yeah, I do spend um, hunter ed is a big barrier for someone trying to become a hunter. You know, it's kind of the first step they would need to take. Um, So we're always trying to find ways to tweak that and make it more available. Um, And I do spend some time teaching hunter ed courses, actually wrapping up a women's hunter ed course tomorrow night.
0: Very cool. So uh, what sort of things have you done to make, uh, you know, finding or being able to do uh, the hunter education courses easier for people?
1: Yeah, so um, COVID was a bit of a blessing in disguise, just kind of forced us to come up with some new options. Um, And I think a lot of states uh, found different ways, whether they went to an entirely online hunter education Um, platform, um, and some people are deciding to stick with that Um, now as things return to normal. um, We opted to do kind of a hybrid option um, where people took the online course and then they had to attend an in-person testing night. Um, So I started this role in October of last year, so I didn't have to do as much as a lot of our other staff. But a lot of time last year spent um, traveling all across the state holding testing nights for Hunter Ed. Um, But I think that just gave people that kind of have busy schedules um, adults, things like that, were more able to fit in, um, hunter education into their lives, I guess, with those online options. Um, and then just finding new ways that we've got like text alerts so people can sign up and figure out when a class is posted and then, um, always trying to just recruit new instructors. So we have more people to teach it.
0: Mm -hmm. Very cool. So, you, you know, you touched on a little bit with, you know, 2020 and COVID and things like that. So how, how has that impacted, uh, what you do and in basically just outdoors in general, like we, we've seen, you know, a lot of people getting into the outdoors interested, um, you know, what exactly are you seeing on your end?
1: Yeah. So, uh, nationwide hunting and fishing license sales were up last year. Um, presumably because people just had more time on their hands, they had more flexible work schedules or they weren't working. Um, working from home, you know, just able to go do stuff more often. And then um, also just looking for safe ways to recreate. Um, You could still maybe go fishing with a friend and, you know, have your boats nearby or um, just be in safe outdoor spaces, I guess. Um, So really cool to see that it brought a lot of people to the outdoors, um, reactivated a lot of people. Um, Yeah, nationwide license sales were up for hunting and fishing in almost every state. Um, A few states that, uh like alaska where residents had or non-residents had difficult time going to we're a little bit down but um really cool to see i guess the key is just going to be keeping those people engaged um now that things kind of return to normal and schedules start to get busy again um just trying to remind people how much fun it was um yeah and just hoping they keep outdoors in their mind so i think a lot of states are focusing on retention this year i guess that second r is is keeping those people um, here in North Dakota, yeah, we start. We were slowly starting to see like little declines, I guess, in hunting and fishing license sales, but then a big, nice spike last year. Um, but I know that just this week, um, we saw that our fishing license sales are already down 10,000 from where they were at last year at this time. So um, still starting to see, you know, people get back to being busy and and maybe not finding time for it. So just trying to do things like send email reminders, buy a fishing license, remember how much fun it was, um, and then maybe really promote opportunities that are closer to town um, or urban areas where a lot of our new recruits came from last year, I guess. If they don't have time to travel outside of cities, uh, maybe they can make use of some of our uh, you know, rivers in our cities here in North Dakota or community ponds and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, re- retention is one of the three R's that you know i find super interesting it's like okay um you know COVID hit we're looking for something to do okay let's go let's try hunting let's try fishing and it, you know it was great to see so many people get into that but it's like okay how do we how do we keep their attention when you know everything's kind of getting back to normal like do you do you have any tips or suggestions
1: I mean, on our end, it's just gonna be a lot of marketing. Um, I guess as a, if you are listening and you're a current hunter or angler, if you know anyone, you know, just uh, maybe reinviting them out. Um, you know, they're starting to get busy again, but take them out fishing or take them out hunting this fall um, and remind them how much fun they had, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's gonna be a tough nut to crack when some of it just comes down to things we can't control, like getting back to work or um, kids being re-engaged in sports. Um, But another cool thing we're seeing, uh, I think nationwide, is is an increase in um, kids shooting on high school trap leagues, Um, and that's been cool to see how their parents get reactivated. Um, And now, like, you know, their busy schedule of a sports schedule is actually kind of contributing to them maybe becoming a hunter if they're interested. So, Um, Mm -hmm. or even like high school fishing leagues are becoming pretty popular. Um, So you're not, we're not necessarily maybe competing with sports anymore if it's a sport that they're. Uh, competing in i
0: guess yeah yeah it's very cool to see in those like trap leagues popping up and in fishing fishing leagues and stuff like that just really seeing the kids get introduced to the outdoors i'm you know i'm also very interested in the you know the recruitment side of things just from a personal standpoint like i have i have two daughters now i've got uh, one that's just turning one year old here and then another one that's five so what sort of uh, tips or advice would you have for me to, to try and really get my daughter excited about the outdoors?
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, for a long time, we really hit on youth recruitment, I guess, um, because it's just everyone loves to see, you know, take a kid fishing day or um, youth hunts. Um, and they're still really great. And it's still really um, you know fun to see the kids out there. But one of the things we started noticing is like a lot of those events um, were attracting kids that were already maybe introduced to the outdoors. Their parents already do this stuff. So they were likely already going to become a hunter or angler um, or at least exposed to it. Um, and then if you did find, you know, managed to find a kid whose parents weren't really into this that attended those types of events um, and they loved it, uh, they maybe don't have the capacity, uh, you know, at age six or seven to then go back and and be a full-time angler if their parents don't do it. You know, they can't drive. They don't really have a lot of say in what they do with their time. Um, So for a lot of our youth events, we're really trying to make it a a family focus, you know, getting everybody out there, getting the family engaged, um, and then really trying to target those kids that um, maybe don't already have these opportunities or, or don't have a parent that would already know kind of where to take them, et cetera. Um, But, of course, taking anybody new and taking kids, it needs to be fun. I feel like they need to have um, success, you know, some success. That doesn't need to be a limit of walleyes. But they need to catch a fish and um, feel that experience and um, probably want to focus on, like, good weather days and um, just going out in, like, short stints. Uh, You know, you don't want to make them sit out all day in the rain for eight hours (laughs) Um, and just making it about more than just fishing, you know. Maybe they just end up uh, playing with bugs on the side of the creek, or or whatever it might be. But I think when we talk about getting anyone involved in the outdoors, just getting them to, um, yeah, love the outdoors first, and then um, maybe you know fall in love with being successful kind of second. You know, they should just enjoy being out there um, and not be so focused on on successfully, I guess, hunting or fishing until they've developed that love for just being out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you make some great points, and you just you kind of hit the nail on the head there with with wanting to enjoy the outdoors and not worry so much about like oh I gotta catch a limit of fish you know like or I gotta get my daughter or son on a limit before they have any fun like a lot of it's a lot of it's just about being out there and spending time with the family just like you mentioned it uh, it reminds me of that Trace Adkins song you know? <laughs> you think we're just fishing.
1: Yeah, for sure that's actually uh that's what me and my dad danced to at our wedding.
0: Oh, that's <laughs> cute. At my wedding, yeah. Okay, so um you know, I'm a I'm a very outdoorsy person and you know, like if you're listening to this podcast, you know, you probably are too as a listener. So what uh what sort of things can we do as avid outdoorsmen to to help with the 3Rs?
1: For sure. Um, one of the biggest things we're going to start to promote here and really market is uh, mentoring, which you've maybe already heard me mention a couple of times, um, but just taking somebody new with you. Um, and of course, if you have kids, I think that's that's going to be your starting point and that's going to be your focus. Of course, you're going to want to get your kids interested in the outdoors. But if you're sort of uh, maybe past that, your kids have grown up or you don't have kids of your own, whatever it might be, um, thinking about other people in your life, uh, that haven't had that exposure or maybe they used to hunt but it's been 20 years. Um, I think you can just almost look around at the Thanksgiving table or to your coworkers, or maybe your neighbors that you share some venison sausage with um, and just think about uh, whether or not they you know they've gotten a chance to be exposed to the outdoors. I think those are some easy places, places to start um, to find someone to take um, but if it's like if every, uh, if it's think if it's just 30% of hunters replace themselves by creating a new hunter, um, we'd have the problem solved. We'd be back to where we're at. We'd be sustainable hunting numbers. Um, so that's a pretty encouraging stat. And I guess the other thing is to think of it as, um, you know, you don't, I don't, you don't need to take six new people out every year. Um, in fact, it's probably going to be a multiple-year mentorship um, with somebody trying to totally create a new hunter or an angler. I mean, just think about all the time we spend trying to learn new techniques or learn where to go or buy new gear and just learn from experience. Um, so it might be a multiple year investment or just maybe keeping up with them via text, like if they have questions, um, but mentorship is going to be a big one, I guess beyond that, just, um, making sure you're sure you do your part as a hunter and an angler to be respectful of other people out there of the resource, just to leave a good image. Um, you know, like negative, things like poachers and just negative images of hunting and fishing um, don't help this being carried on and it doesn't help our image, I guess. Um, So just being respectful out there, being mindful of things that you post on social media, um, and then just doing your part to tell your story about um, what it is that really gets you interested in hunting and fishing and why you love being out there. I think that hooks people more than just saying like seven man limit uh, with a bunch of dead ducks on a tailgate. You know, can you talk if that's you know, you're really proud of that experience. I understand. But maybe talk about um, how cool it was to watch the ducks like bombing in that day or or how much fun you had reuniting with like old high school friends or um, just doing a better job of telling uh, why we love the outdoors. I think will get more people engaged than just, um, you know, seeing photos and stories that they don't really relate to yet
0: hmm absolutely uh that you know that reminds me of the first time that I ever went out waterfall hunting you know granted we we did have a good day I mean we were we were probably close to limiting out if we didn't but like there's there's two things I remember most out of that day and the first one was it was my uncle that took me uncle Brent and he's a huge huge waterfall guy and the first thing i remember is like you have to have every part of your skin covered like if they're seeing bare skin they're going to see you so he handed me this in i didn't have a face mask so he handed me like a purple face mask and i'm like that that just seems really weird but he's like no just trust me your your face is covered they're not going to see that reflection you're going to be okay and the second thing that i'll that i never forget is that first flock of ducks that came in and flew over the top of us, and that just whooshing sound of of Mm -hmm. air on their wings, like I had never heard that before, and it's just something that I'll absolutely never forget. It's just it's stuff like that that kind of puts you really in the moment and and the things that are really remembered versus just, oh, I shot a limit that day.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like most of my most memorable um, times of field or a stream um, have very little to do with uh, success. And they're usually just like hilarious inside jokes or whatever crazy things that happened. Um, but definitely. And those are the moments I think that hook people. Um, I think even when people have a hard time talking about why they hunter fish, it's it's those things like the sound of ducks flying over your head um, that, that really keep them coming back. And I think those are the things that that new people will connect to more than, um, yeah, seven-man limits. I guess.
0: Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Or like, you know, people ask me why I like turkey hunting so much, and you know, you you don't really talk about oh, I sh-, you know I shot a grand slam or mm-hmm. you know like I've I've filled every turkey tag so far, which I haven't by the way, I and mean, love to, but <laughs> you know what I mean. The coolest part about turkey hunting is, you know, waking up and. In the spring, you've been cooped up all winter long, you know, in a lot of areas, not every area, but, um, for me cooped up all, all, all winter long and to get out there, watch the sun come up. And if you found bo- birds roosted, like hearing them gobble their faces off, like you don't hear that anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And then to like have them come into the decoy and like strut up, put on a show, it's, it's that's what will absolutely hook a person 100 percent
1: for sure I um mentored a new hunter a woman uh this year in turkey hunting um she was not successful but on the first morning we just like got up at sunrise and um we were we just walking through we were hunting in western north dakota so just walking through the badlands um we had it was we'd gotten out there friday night so we hadn't roosted any birds and um, just trying to kind of like walk and listen for gobbles and see if we could get in close to something. And um, just heard like one distant gobble. And she just turns to me and she's like, oh, my gosh, I love turkey hunting so much. <laughs> <laughs> like it's only been like 20 minutes and nothing's really happened. And um, but yeah, it's just for people that don't get to experience this stuff. Um, and I mean, of course, I still love that, too. But it's just crazy how little it takes to hook somebody, I
0: guess. Mm-hmm, for sure turkey hunting all it takes is that first gobble and like mm-hmm. nearly everyone is hooked after that. <laughs> oh, um, yeah so so we've had a, had a couple cool little stories here but uh i'm curious on on your favorite stories do you got a couple for us i'd like to hear your favorite hunting story and your favorite fishing story
1: okay let me think about i should have thought about some of these beforehand um this one's just coming to my mind, so I'll tell it, but there are definitely um, so many stories. But uh, for a hunting one, 2018, um, no, 2019, so two years ago, um, I decided to go on an archery elk hunt with my brother. Um, and that's another thing I really love about the outdoors is just, like, it's probably my favorite way to connect to the people that I love. Um, it's super cool. I just wouldn't have the relationship I do with my brother and my dad and my husband Um, and now increasingly some friends um, if we didn't spend time afield together. Um, My brother's super quiet and pretty reserved, um, but we just have this incredible connection just because of of time spent outdoors and we're both willing to drive whatever, however many hours to meet up to do stuff together. And and that's really cool. Um, But so I was doing all this prep work. I was shooting my bow every day. like trying to hike with weight on my pack because um, we were doing a backcountry uh, archery elk hunt. Uh, he had worked out there for a summer um, and hunted before. Um, after he was done, like work with work for the summer, he had gotten a cow, um, but I was doing all this prep work and um, ended up. I had asked him like, when do I need to buy my tag, et cetera? Um, and then he's like, oh, no rush. And then I went to buy my tag in like uh, July or August, and they were sold out. Um, oh, no. uh, over the count, cause it was an over the counter tag, but after a certain date, they opened it up to residents to buy extra tags. And we had, I guess that just hadn't been a problem when he had hunted out there. Um, and I remember being super devastated, um, like spent all this time and work, but he had bought his tag. Um, and so we had talked about different options, um, but just decided I still wanted to go. I still wanted to be a part of the experience, um, So I went with him, just me and him. Um, We backpacked in like three and a half miles and were camped off this creek bed um, and just had a a really great week. Um, But it had been like three and a half days of um, we would hike up the mountains in the morning um, and then just kind of side hill all day because of the wind and then hike back down to our camp at night and we hadn't seen anything, (laughs) hadn't seen an elk. Um, and every morning he was really good. He'd wake up and say like, do you, are you, do you still want to stay? Do you want to go? Um, cause you get a fishing license, um, with your, with your elk license. And, um, he was just like, if it's not going well, we can leave. Cause I didn't have a license. And I was like, Nope. Every morning I was like, Nope, we're going to do this. Um, and so still hadn't seen anything. Um, on the fourth morning, we heard a bugle that we were kind of interacting with a little bit, but, um, never ended up seeing it or getting an opportunity and then at the on like towards the end of the fourth day, we were on this ridge and we saw elk on the other ridge, um, crossing this opening. Um, but we figured by the time we got down and across, um, that we it's just going to be too late to try to relocate them. So we just went down at our normal pace and we just were like, we'll just pick a draw and, and sit here. And like we sat down for 30 seconds and you could hear it crashing in the woods. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, there's elk right there. Um, so laid down. Um, And there ended up being a bull, like, really rubbing on this tree that was thrashing. Um, And he started moving closer. There ended up being some cows, like, on the edge of the opening at, like, 30, 40 yards. But this bull was coming towards these cows. And I couldn't see them because I was laying down. Um, So I was just watching everything, like, unfold through my brother's eyes. Um, And I watched him draw, um, but then heard, like, a loud noise, which in hindsight, I realized um, the bull was at, like, 30 yards, um, but it suddenly, like, after he decided to like charge at these cows. So then, um, he ended up, it ended up being more like a 55 yard shot. Um, but he shot, uh, and then I, you know, it's just like, what happened? Did you hit it? And he was, I've never seen my brother that nervous. He was just kind of like freaking out. And it felt funny to like, be the one to try to calm him down. Like, I, I don't know. I know you're a good shot. I'm sure it was a solid like, hit. We'll find it. Um, and it took us a long time of blood trailing. Um, we were kind of like off on the wrong foot to start. We thought something was a blood drop that wasn't, but um, found the elk at like midnight, um, spent like four hours um, cutting it up, quartering it. And I've like never been that exhausted. Um, I, I run marathons and I would say that was harder just after like four days of hunting really hard. And then it's like 2 AM and you're just like, I sat down at one point on what I thought was a rock and was actually just like one of our meat bags sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> just cause I was so exhausted. Um, but carried meat to the creek to cool down overnight. And then we slept for a couple hours and then, um, spent the whole next day packing it out. But, um, yeah, just a really crazy way to connect with my brother. Um, like right after we found the elk, uh, he just gave me a big hug and I can probably count on one hand the number of times that we've hugged. And then um, just passing each other on the trail the next day, packing meat out. Um, he was just super chipper and would like give me a high five every time I passed him, um, which is just, yeah, not like him, like out of character, but um, it's just a really unique experience. Um, yeah. And just, I still feel like, feel like so close to him because of that trip. And um, yeah, I feel like you just push yourself to some extreme limits sometimes and and that's the best way to bond with people. But
0: mm-hmm. Great story. From
1: top to top, yeah, we need to go. But he said we need to go back, and it's it's my turn this time. But
0: yeah, there we go, there we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you you're absolutely right on the elk stuff. Like it's boy, it's such a challenge. Like uh, I've done a couple of marathons too, and I've done a couple of elk hunts, and I was oh, it's it's tough to say which one I was more tired <laughs> after because you know, like the the marathon was brutal because I did not properly train. That was <laughs> my fault, hundred percent um but the elk one like we we went to this area in colorado where like there's a road system on the top and you would go down into the into the draws to like hunt and stuff and we ended up shooting one and obviously it was at the very bottom of the draw so to pack it out we had to go all, all the way up the mountain yeah and that was brutal oh just had you know multiple trips back packing it up but like it's so worth it you think about it it's oh, I'm so sore. I'm so tired. But then you think again, it's like, I have an elk on the back of my, on my back right now. Like how awesome is that?
1: Yeah. It's a crazy feeling. Um, yeah. Our, so it was like three and a half miles back to the truck. Um, and my brother, I'm really small and my brother's not that much bigger than me. And so it took us, I did two loads and he did three loads. So it was like 14 miles for me and 21 miles for him. Um, and yeah, it's just the most painful thing. Um, but much like marathons, I feel like you're just like, this is the worst thing ever when you're in the moment. And then you get down. You're like, we got to do this again.
0: <laughs> yeah. 100%. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. And just to be able to share that with somebody else and, you know, always have that story to, to look back on. It's, you know, it's something that's really, really cool.
1: Mm-hmm. I think you asked me favorite fishing story too. I sure um, did. Which... I don't know. Again, so many, but, um, I'll just say again, cause it's fresh in my mind. Um, we've kind of developed me my dad, my brother, and my husband, a little bit of a tradition where we go, um, sturgeon fishing on the rainy river on Minnesota fishing opener. Um, just because, uh, we've had success that weekend, the weather's usually nicer than it is earlier on in the sturgeon season. And then, um, everybody else is walleye fishing and nobody else is sturgeon fishing anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of nice. Um, and so last year we weren't able to go cause of COVID. Um, so reinstated it this year. Um, and I had a pretty, just, I don't know, rough turkey season. I did not fill either of my tags, um, which is still hard <laughs> to grasp. Um, but I could have hunted one more weekend that weekend that we were going to go sturgeon fishing. And I just didn't want to give up that tradition, I guess. Um, I was still really bummed about turkeys, but, um,
0: just well, you know, I, I asked you that question. You like hunting or fishing more? There's, there's your answer. You, I guess. You yeah. Went out fishing. You burned a turkey tag, so.
1: I know, um which it might have been a different story if my husband hadn't gotten his too, because I love turkey meat. Um, mm-hmm. so at least we had some in the freezer. But um, so decided to go. It was just I hadn't seen my dad and my brother in a while, and it's just too fun to pass up. Um, So we went, and things were actually pretty slow, I would say, than than um, we've had experience with. But um, I was just—it was super. It's always super wavy because boats are driving by a lot. Um, And so I was just like, I'm gonna just reel in and and check uh, my hook. And I was dumb story because I didn't even know I had a fish. I was just gonna reel in and check, and then there was a fish on, uh, and fought it for like 25 minutes, um, and ended up being our biggest sturgeon that we've boated. 70 and a half inches dang um which is officially lots of people say because i'm just small framed, but people say it like oh that fish is bigger than you but first fish i've caught that's legitimately bigger than me
0: wow Um, congratulations
1: instantly renewed my spirits i was just really bummed about turkey season so um yeah, just instantly renewed my spirits and also just a fun weekend in the boat with them. Um, it's always like wavy and you're trying to reel in big fish and you're falling and, um, just lots of good times, um, in the boat. So yeah, that was a good recent one. Um, yeah, those fish are crazy. They're just so old and big and I don't know, they're incredible.
0: Mm -hmm. That's one thing I, I haven't done yet. That's on my high bucket list because it's like, it's, easily attainable i just haven't done it yet is yeah it's it's a lot of
1: fun and even for new anglers listening it's a pretty simple um it's just worms on the bottom so it's not a very intimidating type of fishing um so yeah
0: yeah just make sure to to bring the right pole though if you're yes if you're trying (laughs) to fish doing a you know a light walleye rod you're gonna you're gonna have some trouble
1: definitely yeah you're definitely gonna need some heavier uh gear to fight those fish
0: Mm-hmm. So like what kind of rod and reel line do you use?
1: Yeah. So I just have, um, we musky fish quite a bit. So it's actually just one of my older musky rods, um, heavy action. I couldn't even tell you what brand rod it is, but I actually have this on it is an old Abu Garcia can reel that's purple. And I still remember uh, I was like nine or something. My dad bought it for me at a musky expo in Minnesota cause it was purple. Um, mm-hmm and I was super excited about it and I didn't even know how to use it and I couldn't use it for a long time. Um, but still been a trusty, a trusty reel, um, has reeled in a lot of sturgeon for me and my first couple muskies. Um, but yeah, then just, um, like, I think there's 50 pound braid on there. Um, and then you do, uh, like a swivel and then just, uh, monofilament lead, uh, and a circle hook. Okay. Nice. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Do you, uh, do you ever hook up any big walleye when you're up there, too?
1: Um, we catch a couple walleye sometimes on the worms, um, but never any big ones. We haven't, but I'm sure it's a possibility.
0: Yeah, I suppose, I suppose a lot of them, if you're, if you're going during Minnesota opener time, they're kind of venturing their way back into the lake since they're all mm-hmm. spawned out and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and um, every once in a while, one of us will just reel up and and jig for walleyes instead. Um, Or if you're sore from fighting big sturgeon, (laughs) you can just jig for walleyes for a little bit.
0: Oh, my arm's hurt. I caught so many giant sturgeon. (laughs) What a a terrible problem to have, right? (laughs) Oh, great stuff. So, all right. Well, you know, thank you so much for your time. Um, You know, if if people are interested in learning more or, uh, you know, just want to follow the stuff that you're, that you're doing what you're up to uh how can how can people connect and learn more
1: certainly so um i guess specific to north dakota we've got a lot of great resources on our website if you're new to hunting or fishing um, to figure out where to go what you need etc um, but one of the things we also did recently is start a blog uh, it's called Drift. And um, I'm kind of the main author of that, but we'll occasionally have some guest authors as well. Um, but it's kind of about all the things we talked about today, just um, all the diverse opportunities that are out there. Um, and just the reasons I love spending time outdoors. Very, the stories won't be about necessarily giant fish, but more about just like um, how I feel out there and, and why other people should get involved. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's called The Drift. And you can subscribe to it on our website at gf.nd.com.
0: Okay. So, um, what sort of stuff's on there right now to give people a little taste of what's out there?
1: Yeah. So we just started it. So there's an intro piece, just a little bit about like who I am and a little bit about R3. Um, and then there's a piece on morels actually, um, just kind of some tips and, and some gear you might want if you're going to go try to forage for morels. Um, and then the last one we wrote, uh, or I wrote was about, um, packing in, like wild game on the go. Um, so just kind of some recipes or ideas about trying to eat, um, try to eat primarily wild game, So it's hard when we're doing stuff every weekend. Um, so I try to find ways to like bring it on the go, I guess. Um, and then this next one will hopefully be about, um, some spring fishing here. So
0: very cool. All right. You, you, caught my attention on the morel stuff. <laughs> so I've been, you know, I'm, I've done okay on shed hunting, uh, you know, done okay on turkey hunting. But I just fail miserably with morel hunting. I just can't find things. I don't know if it's just my attention span or my, you know, not the right attention to detail. But um, I would, I would love some tips and tricks on on morel hunting, especially North Dakota. Like, I don't, I don't think about morels in North Dakota. I think about prairie grass and and you know, not really finding morels. Where do you, where do you look? How do you find them?
1: For sure. So um, one caveat is that this year has been really dry, so I'm a little nervous about um, whether I'll be able to find many. Um, But true, North Dakota's big prairie state, so we're a little limited. But um, they obviously like, uh, or maybe it's not obvious, but they like dead and decomposing wood. Um, So lots of the river bottoms and creek bottoms um, are a good place to start. Um, They like dead elm trees, if you can find them, or dead box elder and cottonwoods are a good one. Um, They also like disturbed areas. um, So, like, a river bottom that's recently been burned can be a really good um, place to start to look. Um, And I often, I'm pretty new to this, too, but I often find them, like, at the stumps of the trees or, like, a little, around a little radius, I guess, around the stumps. Um, and I guess another big thing can just be timing. Um, so this time of year, I'll start to just go like, look, or kind of pay attention to if other, I see other people have started to find them, um, because they'll, they'll sprout up pretty quick. Um, so if you just happen to look too early and then you're like, oh, well, there weren't any there and maybe they were there a week later. Um, so just paying attention to, um, like I think 53 degrees is the soil temperature, but yeah, I just kind of try to, now I have like photos on my phone and I pay attention to the date and figure out like Um, I should go check. Um, But yeah, just looking for dead and decomposing wood and um, areas where there's maybe a little bit more moisture. Uh, And then I just, once I've found some, just return to those areas. They're usually good places to start or um, just try to find areas that look like those.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So, I mean, is, is there a good rule of thumb on when you should be starting to look? Like maybe a certain level of green out there or seeing budding trees or anything like that?
1: Yeah, this is just my own noticing, but, uh, I know that a lot of people link like crappie spawning to lilacs blooming, but I feel like morels fall in there too. So kind of all the same timeframe. Um, I usually find them in this like mid May to early June. Um, I guess just depending on the kind of spring we're having, or even just like local different regional areas, um, that may or may not have gotten like different moisture minor differences in temperature. But, um, yeah, I would say like mid May to early June.
0: Okay. So up you, here so you're up telling here. me i'm gonna have to choose between crappie spawning and morel hunting
1: huh? yes uh or uh, you know maybe morning of morning of crappie fishing and then
0: okay there you go I, I can get behind that i just gotta you know take a full day out of it and uh yeah and you know yeah and at least the, they
1: you know they don't care about time or you're not you don't have to try to catch them so
0: yep <laughs> you, you know whenever that's you know it's a wonderful time for your your three r's your recruitment retention reactivation you know if you can pack a day where you you know wander through the woods and and find a couple morel mushrooms and whatever whatever random stuff you find in the woods that kids will be super excited about like you know sticks or old forts or whatever and then you go you head into the boat and then you just hit a big limit of crappies like that's a that's a pretty good way to get people hooked into the outdoors not gonna lie
1: Definitely. Uh, yeah, I used to, um, always loved crappie fishing, but I used to just kind of hate spring. It was always like muddy and just gross. And I felt like there was nothing to do. And now that I've slowly picked up turkey hunting and foraging and, um, then crappie fishing starts, it's like, whoa, spring is the best and it's hard to pick what to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I am in the same boat with you there. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of knowledge sent our way there and, and hopefully this segment can, you know, motivate people into getting others into the outdoors.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: You just heard our segment with Kayla Bendel of the North Dakota game and fish on recruitment, retention, and reactivation of people to the outdoors. You know this is a subject that we're super passionate about here at Shields and it's just so fantastic seeing people get out and enjoy new experiences in the outdoors. I, I love to do so personally uh, having a five-year-old daughter and another one coming up and just uh, some of the best memories I've ever made have been outdoors and just seeing it through their eyes is, is something really special so if you ever get a chance, we recommend, you know, taking taking a kid or taking, you know, somebody that doesn't spend time in the outdoors out into the field or on the water. And with that, we want to thank you all for listening and see you next time.